Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg. Tim Britton remains on the wedding circuit, so filling in today is a man who knows the Mets opponent very well, the Mets next opponent very well, uh, and one of the Athletics National Beat writers, Andy McCullough. Andy, how's it going? Ted, I'm living the dream. How are you? I am. Uh, I'm doing all right. I had a, a ex- insanely busy day of childcare today, but uh, that's neither here nor there. The Mets won two, uh, sweeping the Nats in the doubleheader, sweeping the Nats in the series, thanks to a uh, an, a, a particularly exciting game two, which uh, J- Trevor May and Jerry's Familia let Washington back into, and then. Uh, Pete Alonso finished with a walk-off shot. Things feel, uh, and and Andy, I don't want to uh, give too much away about uh, how things felt for for this Mets podcast at the end of of last week when <laughs> they were falling apart. I can uh, I think I'm a little bit sunnier now than I was uh, at the end of last week. Why? Well, because it doesn't seem. It seems like because it seems like facing the now very very depleted Washington Nationals is a cure for what ailed the Mets, which was not winning any games. And now they have won three. All right. Well, yeah, that's a, that's reasonable. That's, that's good. Don't look at what the schedule looks like over the next two weeks. Uh, I, that's, that's the thing. And so now <laughs> they go from, uh, suddenly a team that has like seven and it's, it is rare. I, I find that there is like a baseball player that I've absolutely never heard of. And yeah. it's like half of the nationals roster yeah. at Clobo this point. sits. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, was it, and which is like, is that, wasn't that Donnie's last name in the big Lebowski? Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, um, uh, it was the only other time I've heard that name, but now they go, uh, with, uh, they start with, they go on a West coast trip, uh, facing the class of the national league, starting with the 2020 world series champions, the Los Angeles Dodgers, a team you covered up close for several years and a team the Mets have said, they would like to become. Why are the Mets not like the Dodgers? Uh, well, I mean, um, it, it's very hard to do that. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and, it, and, you know. Where it, would you start? It also, it took, uh, it took a little bit longer. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the Guggenheim baseball group took over the Dodgers. They bought them from, you know, Frank McCourt as the, you know, as the Dodgers went through the bankruptcy mess from the McCourt divorce, uh, they bought mm-hmm. the team in 2012. Um, and the team didn't win the division until 2013. They did, however, um, make a very significant move in, um, you know, in 2012, that, that first summer when they took on the money of Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford and Josh Beckett. And that was a, you know, <clears throat> a huge play to contend sort of right away. Um, but I think what they did, I think the point that Steve Cohen was probably talking about when he said they wanted to be like the Dodgers 
of the East was where the Dodgers sort of are now, where they have a great farm system and they have a huge payroll. And the Dodgers really didn't get the farm system part going until several years later, um, at least in terms of like the where it was sort of humming like a pipeline in, in 16 and 17 and 18 and 19. I think it's gotten a little dry since then. But even then, like, you know, Andrew Friedman, when he took over after Ned Coletti was let go at the end of 2014, you know, Coletti had built a farm system that had Corey Seager and Cody Bellinger and also a big league team that had Clayton Kershaw and Kenley Jansen and Justin Turner. So, um, you know, I think it just it takes a long time to actually build up a machine like that. The Dodgers just had enough good players on the big league roster to sort of paper over the deficiencies throughout the rest of the organization. If that makes sense. Uh, yeah, and, and you mentioned how well they've drafted. A, a big portion of, of the club are homegrown guys, but they've also had success. Uh, you mentioned the name Justin Turner. Um, Turner, someone they, they rescued from the scrap heap and turned into an all-star. Uh, Chris Taylor, not exactly on the on the scrap heap, but not a guy I think people saw becoming like a, a borderline MVP candidate yeah. when, when they traded for him with Seattle. Max Muncy, another MVP candidate this year, another guy who had been released is there is it is there something to the magic like how how are they doing this is it scouting is it analytics is it is it both like how are they identifying these like players that it seems like not that many other teams are are terribly eager to have who they know have the capacity to become all-stars well i would say the simplest way to uh do that is employ farhan zaidi um, mm-hmm. because that is what Farhan Zaidi does as well as anyone in baseball. He, you know, I mean, obviously Andrew Friedman has had a huge part in this too, but, um, you know, Zaidi was part of bringing in Chris Taylor. You know, he was the one who signed Max Muncy and he's carried that over since, you know, Zaidi has carried that over, uh, to San Francisco in the last, you know, couple of years, as you look at, you know, guys like Darren Ruff and Lamont Wade. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, um, it's harder and harder because there are uh, more teams are sort of searching the margins of the waiver wire for those guys. And, and um, I think, you know, the thing though with players like Taylor and Muncie is that neither of them was really brought in uh, with the idea that they would have to be a big contributor. And so they were mm-hmm. brought into a good team where they were kind of given a bit of a runway to, you know, see if they could catch fire. I mean, Taylor was acquired in 16 and he wasn't particularly good in 16. He didn't play much. It wasn't until 2017 that he actually came up and was a big contributor. And Muncy's very similar. The Dodgers signed him in 2017 and he spent basically the entire year in the minors. You know, it wasn't until 2018 that he, that he came up. And so what they've done is they've basically created uh, just a stock pile of guys at least they had that for a long while as, a, as i mentioned it's kind of started to draw thin in recent years through just kind of attrition but it's it's having enough essentially like for lack of a better term lottery tickets on on guys with tools who maybe haven't had them actualized elsewhere and then having a good enough system so that if those guys come up and they perform they'll be able to um you know really flourish and that's you know that's a simplistic way of looking at it because there's the hard part of like actually identifying the tools and identifying the undervalued sort of players but um they've done a good job with that over the years and i think it's something that that lots of teams are trying to mimic it's just very challenging to do you got to take a lot of swings in order to get it you know 
And I, I guess what's it's it's interesting that you think it's it's starting to thin out a little bit because from an outsider's perspective, just looking at the rosters, there's so much depth. You see the trade, and and we discussed it at length of the, uh, on the podcast. Even though there was no chance the Mets were going to land Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, but to make that deal, the Dodgers traded away in in Josiah Gray and and Kaber Ruiz. Uh, two major league ready, good prospects. Like the Mets didn't even have those guys to trade. Are you telling me that there is there is going to be some sort of like coming back to earth for this organization soon? Because I look down their minor leagues and like you you go down to Double A, Single A, and there's a bunch of impressive guys on every single team. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that I have been sort of thinking about a decent amount actually over the past like couple weeks because part of me does feel like, uh, you know, in some ways for this Dodgers team, there is like a bit of a last dance feel to it just because there's huh. a lot of uh, uncertainty, at least on the roster, you know, after the season. Clayton Kershaw's a free agent. Uh, Corey Seager's a free agent. Chris Taylor's a free agent, you know, in addition to like Max Scherzer and Kenley Jansen. And so um, there is part of me sort of wonders if this is kind of like the last run that, that this group is going to get. But then, yeah, like as you said, you look at the roster and A-ball, double-A, triple-A, they have guys who are in the development phase who could, you know, fill all those gaps and still real, be really good. I think the difference, though, is that like the Dodgers hit on a lot of marginal sort of guys and you know they had success with like you know having someone like Matt Beatty come up and be really valuable or like they went out and you know traded for David Freeze and he was really valuable and this season they've just had less luck with that sort of thing you know the 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 the, the at bats that they have given to guys in the bottom you know fifth of the roster like uh you know roster numbers 21 through 26 have not been as valuable in recent years that might be a one-year blip but it also might just be a sign of like how much harder it is to keep all these things together. I mean, like they don't have Kike Hernandez and they don't have Jock Peterson anymore and they miss those guys and they don't have them because they didn't want to, you know, overpay for them. I'm not sure either of those guys necessarily would have signed back for the deals that they took because they both wanted to probably play every day and they knew they mm-hmm. were with the Dodgers, but the Dodgers also like wanted to have money holstered for, um, you know, their big free agent signing who turned out to be Trevor Bauer, which has obviously um, been a disaster in a variety of ways. And, um, yeah, so like it's just hard to it's hard to maintain that amount of depth when you start having to pay guys and that's kind of in where they are in their sort of winning cycle is like they're you know it's just very difficult to keep all these players and then pay them what they're actually worth if that makes sense. Right. And and I guess that's it it sort of points to something larger which is that it's not you know I think people associate the they see the payroll and you assume it's like this like you know, 2000 to 2009 era Yankee thing where it was like every right. single big free agent that is just going to be the guy they signed. But that's not how it is for the Dodgers. Uh, right. uh, Trevor Bauer is the exception to the rule. Mostly it's just signing the guys that they've already either found and turned into great players or developed themselves. Yeah, exactly. And, and and also, though, but like having that money available when a superstar becomes available, whether it was like Mookie Betts, mm-hmm. obviously, who they had the resources to both trade for and the money to lock up long term. Or, I mean, like they offered Garrett Cole, you know, $300 million. They offered him, I think it was, you know, something like 10 for $300 million. There was a, a portion of it was deferred and, and they were, you know, the Yankees blew them out of the water. But they also, you know, offered Garrett Cole a lot of it. They offered him what would have been the biggest contract in baseball history. Right. They were willing right. to make like a, a big bet on Bryce Harper in like a three year, four year deal. They were willing to do that for Rendon. That's, you know, they've kind of kept that 
that sort of uh, that slot of like thirty million dollar money available. You know, in in, in years since sort of twenty eighteen, they kind of after the twenty seventeen season, they basically were gearing up to try and spend that, and they ended up spending it on bets. They cleared another one, and they spend it on Bauer, and one of those deals worked out a lot better than the other. And perhaps the most baffling thing about the Dodgers to me is that now Albert Pujols is on this team. <laughs> yeah, it's very like, uh, it is a, it's a weird It's like, is this a of... taunt? Like, are, are, are you mocking well, the Angels? Like, what is happening here? I thought, I mean, I think the the, the signing of Cole Hamels for me was a sign mm-hmm. that we had sort of slipped through, uh, you know, we'd slipped through some sort of timeline into another one because things, you know, it is very strange that they're, Rotation could be, uh, you know, when the postseason, you know, starts, it could be Walker Bueller, Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, Cole Hamels, and David Price. There's something just like out of time with that, I guess. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, and like, look, they they signed Albert Pujols, and everyone sort of laughed because Pujols had been, you know, pretty unproductive um, for. The Angels for a really, really long time, and the Dodgers have kind of found a way to get, you know, a decent amount of production out of him. Looking at it now, I mean, he's got a 111 OPS plus. He's got nine homers. You know, he's hitting 268 with, you know, 470 slug. Like, he's been okay. And you probably Easy. don't want to give a roster spot to a 41 year old part time first baseman, but like, you know, for Albert Pools, that's yeah, not too bad. Right. I mean, like, you gotta, you gotta figure he still puts like, at least a few butts in seats because he's Albert Pujols yeah. and like everybody's gonna, I don't know. And then you'll you'll hear a lot of players saying like, "Oh, it's amazing to see him go about his work." Uh, yeah, which soft, is what they always say. Yeah. yeah, soft factors like there's de- there's definitely a benefit to having a a motivated, you know, excited Albert Pujols with a chance to actually play in the postseason again for the last time. Like I think there's definitely a net benefit to that. Uh, now, long before you covered the Dodgers, uh, I mean, slightly before you covered the Dodgers, you covered the Kansas City Royals. You got a, a very, a very, very good couple of years to be in Kansas City. <laughs> yeah. Before yeah, that, well. um, before that, Mets fans may remember you were on the Mets beat for a long time. Uh, refresh my memory on the years. Yeah, it was uh, 2010 to 2012. Uh, if you have to think of a player... Like the who is the it, when when you think of the 2010 to 2012 Mets, not necessarily the best player. Who is the first player that comes to your mind? Chris Carter. Chris Carter, the animal. The animal, Chris Carter. Yeah, I uh, Tony DeComo and I joke about this to this day, but but that was my first year on the beat, and I think it was Tony's first year as well. Um, and I think the two of us, one of us, spoke to Chris Carter every single day. He was an um, intense because- dude. He was very intense. He was very, you know, he had some quirks. He was very funny. He was very personable. Um, we, you know, there was one time where they were about to play the Marlins and uh, he was stomping through the clubhouse saying, let's fry these fish. Um, <laughs> you know, he would do, he was, he was a very interesting fellow. Um, you know, I, I wonder what he's up to these days. But yeah, I think about, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess like Chris Carter, Jose Reyes, David Wright, Ike Davis. R.A. Dickey. Yeah, I was going to give you Josh, Josh Tolley. To Josh Tolley was like such a very much a guy of those yeah. teams. Yeah, Josh Tolley. Yeah, he was uh, he was in Dodgers camp a few years ago, and it was nice to see him again. Uh, I always remember there was a game in uh, in Arizona, and he was batting, and, uh, and a fan shouted out, uh, you suck, T-hole, and that always <laughs> made me laugh. Uh-huh. Um, 
Yeah. That, I mean, Oliver Perez was on that team in 2010. You know, that was the, uh, you know, as Mets fans will remember, that was the stretch of time where they played with a 24-man roster for several months because Ollie refused an assignment to the minors right. and the team refused to, to cut him. And then he wound up pitching on the – they went to they went into extra, extra innings in the last game of the season mm-hmm. and, and they had to bring him in. Yep. Oh yeah, I remember. I, I wrote that it was a that it was a, a thirty six million dollar act of mercy or something to, to send him into that game to just end that awful season. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Rod Barajas on the twenty ten Mets, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was a. It was a. You, I would say you got paid back for your penance with the twenty ten to twenty twelve Mets by <laughs> by getting to get a, a see a yeah. a World Series championship in Kansas City. Like who who would have seen that coming? Uh, and <laughs> yeah. and then uh, go cover the Dodgers when they're so good. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U S based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. What I would like to know is how, as a Mets fan, you stuck it through those lean years. Because those those were not, like, encouraging times. Uh, you know, like very pathetic Mets fan optimism that just gets you all the time. That's been like, like it's been, you know, since, since 1987 or whatever. Right. Like I, I was yeah. even before generation K I was like, you know, Reed Cornelius is going to be something here. Bobby, you know, Bobby Jones is going to be something like it was always, um, you can always find the little glimmers of hope that are bright enough to, to just latch onto uh, and pull you through, the 20, was it the 2010 Mets opening day lineup when it was like Gary Matthews Jr. and Jeffrey Core yep. and yeah, um, yep. I mean that was where lean years. It was the the misery is part of the fun, right? And anyone who says otherwise <laughs> is kidding you. Like that's a because if you didn't if you didn't want it, and Tim and I talk about this quite a bit. If you didn't want that, you would have just become a Yankee fan at some point along the line. Sure. Right. Do you do you feel like like you had a choice growing no, up? No, I definitely didn't. Um, uh, my my grandfather was a diehard Brooklyn Dodgers fan. Yankees were uh-huh. not going to happen, um, and so it was it was passed down. It was not like if when you were twelve years old, you couldn't have just said, you know what, like I'm a Yankees fan. This is uh, I could have, but it was it, it wasn't, and that wasn't like from my family at all. It was just like social pressure around being sure. a front runner was so strong. Oh, interesting. Um, like I even okay. remember. Uh, this is like I, I feel 
bad about this to this day. Um, um, when the Rangers won, the, like, so I was an Islanders fan, uh, and in '94 when the when the Rangers won the Stanley Cup, you know, they when they win the oh, this is like old hat in, in championships, but when they they win the Stanley Cup and immediately they're wearing Stanley Cup champion hat, um, and I was. 13 years old and I said like I wonder like I expressed interest in having I think they beat the Canucks and like I wanted the Canucks uh Stanley Cup champion hat which obviously must have existed somewhere and my mom misunderstood me and like got me that special Rangers championship hat and I was like I can't I can't wear a Rangers hat like and then I'm gonna be a front runner that's the worst thing you can be so it would be I'd be like oh, like at times when no one was gonna see me I would wear that Rangers hat what what do you think is the what do you think is the proper age to become a front runner? Um, like like when when can you say like you know what I'm a grown up? Oh, like I'm not letting I'm not letting this cause me anger. It ha- you know what happened with with a very good friend of mine who is like one of the most diehard Knicks fans I've ever known. Um, and he grew up in Brooklyn, like in Park Slope, and still lives in that neighborhood. And he remained a Knicks fan even after the Nets moved in. Um, and the Knicks, I mean, and the Knicks, if there's ever been a franchise you can bail on, it should be the Knicks. Right. Um, and right. over time, and we're 40, right? So, like, I would say at, like, age 38, after being a Nets season hmm. ticket holder for several seasons, he was finally like, yeah, actually, you know what? Like, I didn't do it consciously, but now I like the Nets more than the Knicks. And I was like, that's cool. <laughs> like, that's fine yeah. with me. I don't I, yeah. I don't fault anybody for doing it. I would have if they did it, like, between, I guess, any time when I was, before I graduated high school, I would have definitely yeah. taken issue with that. Now it's like good for you if you can bail on your <laughs> right, like I, like right. and that happened with me the Jets like I just don't I stopped following football mostly I stopped following football because of the Jets um, yeah because it was like and and it's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna become a Giants fan that's it's just weird it would feel weird right and I'm just not gonna invest this time anymore the Jets have yeah. ruined me well I can say and and I can I can even come at it from the other perspective and that like I was up until I was about. 19 or 20 years old like i was a diehard philadelphia eagles fan like you know uh like a very very huge philadelphia eagles fan we you know my, we had season tickets growing up and you know it's like the most important thing on the calendar Boom, and santa um, claus the whole thing you, yeah yeah let's save it everybody that's hates not, that that's, that's people that's, from philadelphia that's, hate that it's it's it, it yeah i just it just happened i just got annoyed with you yeah that's fine that up. no uh, I, I and i don't blame you because like <laughs> that's like saying because because like uh, like i'm because there are so many things that people might say about new york sports fans right yeah, yeah. well most most new york sports fans are self-aware enough except for new york giants fans uh they're yeah they can they can they can stuff their stories in a sack yeah buddy uh but anyway i i, I you know so i like when i was like 20 or so i just basically made the executive decision i was like i am not allowing the philadelphia eagles to ruin my life anymore like i'm just not going to permit this to happen and so then like flash forward like you know 10 11 years later when they won the super bowl like i was definitely you know like rooting for them and happy that they won and happy for all my friends and family but i definitely did have feelings during that run of like, man, I sort of wish I'd stuck it out because I think I really would have actually enjoyed it. Right. And and so I guess like that is kind of the reason you keep doing it, right? Is because like there it's it's always you know, it's it's the hope of that you'll that there will be a reward at the end, I guess. Yeah. It's it's something like that. Or it's like something closer to compulsion and this is just <laughs> the way you've always been 
you're going to have to continue watching the Mets. Well, you know, there's worse shows on TV, I guess. They're entertaining, man. Was the, like, Oh, like, yeah. I mean, there's case in point, this is the game two today. And and mm-hmm. and I love it. Like, I, I like I like being miserable. It's like a it's a. Um, it's a nice way to be miserable in like a safe space watching a baseball right. team, watching a bad baseball team. Sure. You know, like, it's like sure. I can have sure. and like and then I can shut it down and be like, okay, I know I feel bad because the Mets lost. It's not like heavier things looming over there. It's that too, but I am I am processing that through the Mets loss, um, right. yeah, allowing the, that the to be my set. Are low. Yeah. The stakes are low, but the range of emotions is wide. Was there a moment after you left the Mets beat that you realized, like, oh, that's why the Mets are the way that they are? Like, was there anything oh. about the Mets that that you didn't know? Because because I, I had this experience too. Like, mm. they were the first team I covered, um, and then I mm-hmm. saw others. And like, when you're when you're in it, you're just like, oh, this is how baseball teams are. And then we're not in it. You're like, oh, no, 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 that's the Mets. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know if any if any particular moments come covering other teams. I mean, I do think that there is something in the DNA out there that allows for a slapstickiness to take hold that just other franchises don't deal with. I mean, like every every team's social media department sort of makes mistakes mm-hmm. but only the mets send out a picture that includes like a, a sex toy yeah that's a, um, that is such know, a good mets thing you know like every you know every team has issues with their mascots you know interacting with fans but only you know the mets have mr <laughs> met flipping off the guy you know it's just like i i don't know i i, I think it adds to their charm in oh a lot it of definitely ways. I mean, adds I, to the charm right uh, yeah I, I think there's something there's something very endearing about just what a what a wacky little kingdom of weirdness it is out there in Queens. Um, I I don't know. I mean, there was there were a lot of times when I was on the beat in the first few years, and I would ask, you know, just like talking among the beat writers, I would just I'd be like, why the why did that happen? And the response would just be like, it's the Mets, dude. <laughs> yeah. like, and you're like, oh. Yeah. Which I guess, you know, you learn, and I just wasn't a good enough reporter <clears throat> at the time, honestly. Because like, I just, you know, I I know that this is something that Mets fans have criticized, you know, people who cover the team for a long time about just like being in the pocket of the Wilpons or whatever, or doing the Wilpons bidding. It was like, I never spoke to Jeff Wilpon when I was on the mm-hmm. beat. I had no idea that the owner had that much influence on the team. I was 22 and couldn't identify my half, you know, my ass from a hole in the ground. So like, uh, I just wasn't good enough to figure out like how much the Wilpons were sort of, you know, botching things. And a lot of that stuff, like really, you know, Joel Sherman had been writing about it in the post for years, but you know, I, I Carrig, Mark Carrig in, in Newsday and at the athletic was, you know, someone who, really unearthed a lot of the sort of mm-hmm. things that had just been, you know, messed up about the organization, um, you know, in, in the, in the years before, uh, you know, Steve Cohen took over. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the simplest answer, right. Is ownership, but, but even then there still is just a, a culture of wackiness that, uh, yeah, I don't think is departed just yet. And because I feel like Steve Cohen is more, it seems like at least based on the early going, um, and like his, his somewhat, ham-fisted attempt to put on this like avuncular twitter persona it feels like (laughs) he is maintaining that tradition not upending it right yeah he does have an extreme like how do you do fellow mets fans sort of vibe (laughs) i'm just a regular guy with 10 billion dollars and a cutthroat hedge fund yeah 
Yeah, I mean, anyone who's read the book Black Edge can tell you that, you know, Steve Cohen is not a normal Mets fan. Um, you know, he's, uh, he, he is, he's, uh, but I do think it is, I think it's kind of amusing, like the way that his punctuation always sucks. Like, I, do you think that's on purpose? Uh, you, oh, I would hate that if that was on purpose. Like it was like an, an attempt to make him seem more relatable. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. Now I, mean, I feel bad because like I was, uh, if I got duped into not having patience for that when it was all like a an, an act, I would feel really dumb. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at this. Uh, well, there's no because like I love I hitting him visited... with education time. I always want to like tweet education time because uh, to me the education <laughs> time too is like the most patronizing thing I've ever seen. So like now every time yeah, this guy that... bothers me on Twitter, I'm just gonna say education time something. W- was that about the Kumar Rocker yeah, fiasco? Yeah, it was like education yeah, time. Was I'm not making an investment if it's not gonna be you know whatever it was. Uh, oh, yeah. that rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, like you know. It's the Wilpons are in charge, but they're still the Mets in certain ways. I don't know. They'll always I don't be. Know. I mean, it's yeah, right. it's it. God bless them for it. Right. God bless them. I let you know they're entertaining. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on direct TV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on direct TV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Direct TV has the most MLB games. Visit directtv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply uh do you think that they have a chance of winning anything this year uh the division yeah okay i mean i i my pick as of right now is the atlanta braves huh um, even without a coon ha- yeah yeah they have freddie freeman yeah he's like, been and he's been amazing since Acuna went down. Yeah. you know he's been he's been cranking you know i mean they're they are uh, and this is going to sound pretty lame but that's a winning ball club yeah you know that's a that's a baseball team that has, you know, like good baseball players. And I kind of liked what they did at the deadline. Like I like the the overall addition of like Solaire, Duval, Jock. I think that's gonna help. Um there's a chance that Darno will be good. Mm-hmm. And I, I would just bet I would just bet on them. But like, you know, I would not be shocked at all if the Mets won. Like yeah. especially if I think I think would not be if, shocked is is the right take at this point. Yeah, but this is this is a very difficult two weeks they're about to go through. I mean, I think that what they play like thirteen straight against the Dodgers and Giants. I mean, that's a real, that's a real. Like, well, those are, the, those are the two best teams in the in the. I mean, are they two, two yeah. best teams in the majors by record? Yes, as of uh, or entering play on Thursday. They're up they there. Would. No, but the Dodgers lost on on Thursday, so not. Yeah, they would have fallen behind the run. I don't know. They're close. The the Giants. They're two very good. Giants are teams. way they out. Need in front, to win. Uh, which is and yeah. and how much is that, Zaidi? Uh, a, a good amount, but also it's like Buster Posey being great again. But is that Brandon Belt? Could Brandon that Crawford. could that possibly be like someone they like? Do do you think that there there's a chance like? And this is more, I guess, ask a question about your knowledge of of the Dodgers' inner workings than necessarily the mm-hmm. Giants, but like. Do they have the special people who can rub the magic dust on on Buster Posey? Is that real or is that just good fortune that he's having this resurgent year? Well, I think a lot of it is he didn't play baseball last year. Right. He didn't have to squat in his stance mm-hmm. at all last year. And now, like, I'm not saying, you know, it's not like he was doing club men. I mean, he was raising children in a pandemic. But, like, he got a whole year off of baseball. And Buster Posey is like a, 
you know, Hall of Fame player. So it's right. not it's not that surprising that he's But Brandon Crawford back. is doing it and Brandon Belt is yeah, doing it, right? Like, yeah. I think it's I think some of it is load management. I think uh, you know, a theory I have is that elite dead cats bounce higher and longer than other dead cats, which is a very cruel way to describe what the Giants are doing, but I No, I think, think that I sort of think it's true. Fair, right? Like you're um, starting with the the ta- the talent necessary to be Buster Posey, yes. it's in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and they're you know they're getting uh you know like I said they both all those guys have been banged up at various times. So um you know except for uh you know Crawford who is you know sort of remarkable and now he's able to mm-hmm. play through things. But yeah, I mean it's it's those three guys right, and then it's the guys on the margins. The you know the Lamont Wades, you know Mike Yastrzemski has still been pretty good. Um, you know, Alex Dickerson's starting to heat back up a little bit, you know, um, you know, Donovan Solano has been okay. And then, you know, Darren Ruff has been good. Um, you know, they got, you know, Tommy LaStella. He hasn't been particularly great, but, you know, Thyro Estrada has been okay. I mean, they've just, they piece it together. The pitching is good. Um, I could, you know, I could see the pitching falling off a little bit because the true talent is just not, um, you know, as, as, it's not the high as it is. Yeah, it, it, it's not. But also like, you know, Kevin Gossman's really good. And, you know, Alex Wood, um, you know, is a very competitive uh, young man uh, who's now 30, which makes me feel really old. You know, mm-hmm. Logan Webb's been okay. You know, the bullpen's been pretty good. I mean, they, you know, they, they are they do have something of a horseshoe this year and that they are catching a lot of breaks, but they're also a really good team. I mean, I still think the Dodgers are going to catch them, but, um, you know, uh, they traded for Chris Bryant. I forgot about that. He's a good player. Is there anyone else from the Andrew Friedman GM pipeline that the Mets can get in on in this offseason? Like <laughs> if assuming Zaidi's out. Well, I mean Zaidi's an Oakland guy. I would I would say that um, you know, he doesn't really he worked with, you know, Friedman obviously in LA, but but he was raised by Billy Bean. Okay. Um and and David Force. I mean, I I don't know. I I think and I, I hate th- fetishizing the executives too much. Sure. It's just, but I just want the Mets to be one of like, why can't they? Why can't the Mets be this team now? The yeah, Astros I mean, get to should... be this team. The Dodgers get to be this team, and the Giants get to be this team. I want the Mets to be this team. I, yeah, I mean, maybe Zach Scott's that guy. Who knows? I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's. I think it's a little too early to say. I think that what they did at the deadline wasn't overwhelming, but they got a little bit better. I yeah, I was good with it. I was good with yeah. it because I think knowing that Degrom, like. If you know that Degrom is out, you can you can go one way and be like, oh, like let's just go all in for pitching and try to replace Jacob Degrom, or you can be like, hey, let's just kind of roll the dice here because if Degrom's not really coming back, uh, how good are we for the postseason anyway? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a weird spot. I mean, I think getting Javi Baez makes the team better, but I think the Mets fans are going to figure out you know, if they haven't already that Baez is a talented but very flawed player, um, and those flaws can kind of be glaring when things aren't going right. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like the Rays have a really strong pipeline of executives, so, you know, they can try and get Eric Neander and, you know, Stu Sternberg would, you know, go bonkers and, uh, that would be funny, I guess, you know, if you're into drama stuff, I I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if the issue necessarily is like finding the right exact, you know, person as like a magic bullet atop of the organization. It's just more like, putting in the infrastructure and processes so you don't have the GM coming out this week and saying like, Hey, our guys need to drink more water. Yeah. Cause that's what, what's making like <laughs> when you said Zach Scott was the guy, it was that like the throwing the players under the bus and being like, Oh, they got hurt. It's their fault. 
Yeah, I mean, well, but I just don't understand why. As because a, who's as your a, trainer who can't tell people to hydrate? But what, what if the tra- I mean, look, I have no inside info on this whatsoever. I do know that as a culture, uh, fans and sports writers alike have completely lost the ability to blame players for anything. So like it's, you know, we like to blame the manager and the GM for for rain, essentially. Whereas like, I don't know, maybe like why would Zach Scott come out and lie about the players not drinking enough water? <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a good point. It's just I think it's just because I don't want to I don't want to hear him blame the play- players for like even if that is the case, then like mm-hmm. you get on it, like go don't be talking well, about it, like get get you know get, go, get some go, aqua get some IV, you know like let's IV go. hydration. Well, but what's yeah, funny, though, but he said that that's exactly what he said. What are we supposed to do? Hook him up to an IV? I mean, so right. I can kind of I can relate to the guy, you know, where he's like, what what am I supposed to do here? Uh, I, I did I do think that he probably regrets, you know, that'll probably be the last time he's super candid about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, because it, it becomes such a you know, again, like a Is Mexican, it like do they have bad tasting water at City Field? Because how could you cause how could that be a problem? Like how could that even be a problem? That like a uh, major professional athletes forget to drink enough water? I know. It's like well, the no, like, rule number one. They have it at the a, a couple of years ago, my friend James Wagner wrote in the New York Times about Curtis Granderson's water intake. And it was like about how Granderson always stays hydrated and it's so important to him. And it basically said like he drank like 128 you know, ounces of water a day, which like I drink more water than that. And I'm just like a big fat guy. You know, but like I like I, so I don't. Yeah, I, I, don't, I routinely I don't drink about 160 ounces of, of water. Yeah, a day. like I. So I don't. I don't know. I did. I did. I don't know if if one if you go like Zach Scott camp was he was willing to throw his players under the bus for not hydrating. That's yeah, great. and you're you're for that. Yeah, that's a fresh right. act. Yeah, that's I, that's true. That's true. That's true. It is not. This is not. This is not something I've heard before from a general yeah. manager. Like, oh, well, it's, it, don't don't ask me, man. They're the ones who are not drinking water. Yeah, if look, you, what do you want me to do? Hook them up to that, I don't know if I don't know if it's still the case, but uh, vintage Mets minor league clubhouse in Port St. Lucie, there were uh, atop the urinals charts um, mm-hmm. to show players how hydrated they should be based on the, the color of their urine. And so there was like a danger zone and, and, and like also like this is where you want to be. Uh, well, I mean, that's hey, they need to bring those back. So, so like, I guess they have not been effective. Uh, we're, a, and, we're a visual society. Or maybe they were so effective that once those players were no longer in Port St. Lucie, they forgot. They right, stopped right. Doing it, and <laughs> they that's were, the yeah, issue. Be, much like how you forget all your phone numbers now that you have a cell phone. Exactly. Uh, you know, you lose the skill. Yeah. Uh, Andy, thank you so much for, for joining and uh, and and telling us all the reasons the Mets are not yet the Dodgers. Well, yeah, well, hopefully if Tim ever comes back from his, you know, fifth honeymoon or whatever this is. Uh, he this can... is, I think, a family wedding. He's got oh, a lot well, of weddings. Nice. Well, Everybody wants know. Tim at their wedding. I mean, who wouldn't want Tim at their that's wedding true. or any function? Um, yeah, he's yeah, he's not going to. I don't feel like he's not going to, like, make a stir. Oh, no, no. He's going to he's going to bring a nice gift. He's going to say some nice words. He'll be he'll be a gentleman the whole time. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah I get it. I get it. <laughs> no one wants me at their wedding i got a new suit i haven't i haven't worn it in a year and a half i've had a new suit i'm just looking for a reason i'm pulling for you Ted. yeah <laughs> peace out yeah this was fun thanks for having me 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.